Welcome to the Impact Church Aurora podcast. We pray that this week's message encourages you, engages you, and equips you to make an impact in the world around you. Now, get ready to receive the Word of God. Before you're seated, or if you already are seated, make sure you grab hold of somebody close to you. Just let them know how wonderful they are, how blessed they are to be so close to you. Sharing my space. So merry early Christmas. I know it's coming. I know it's all around us everywhere that we go. It's here today. We're going to talk about uh, some elements of Christmas today that are so vital, I believe, to the story and the context of Christmas itself. But before we get into that, I, I wonder, does anybody actually take the time to read the entire Christmas story? Anybody ever actually read the entire Christmas story ever around Christmas time? A tradition, maybe it's just, or you don't have a choice because you know I'm probably going to do it anyway. Okay, I got gotcha. you. All right. What's so neat about the Christmas story is that we often don't start where the story starts. We, we, like, to, we like to find those places. And what's significant about the Christmas story itself is, does anyone not set up a Christmas tree? Does anyone not set up a Christmas tree? I got any single bachelors in the house that do not set up a, a Christmas tree. Okay. So uh, we would all pretty much say for the most part, we are, we all have a tree in our, in our home. Even those you have infants or one-year-olds, you still set up a tree anyway, don't you? Even though you know they're probably going to end up messing things up. You still set it up anyway. Yeah, you know, okay? It's, it's going to go in their mouth, but you set it up anyway. It's, it's what we do. We set up Christmas trees. It's something that, that becomes a bit of a tradition for us, if you will. What I'd like to do for a few moments is, is I'd like to talk about, well, the, the, the first Christmas, if you will. And, and I just wonder if this is exactly what happened when, when Mary told Joseph. Uh, you got that meme for me? This, uh, I, just, I just wonder if... That was for Darius. I don't know if Darius is here or not, but that's Darius' guy right there, Carmelo. I wonder if, if the moment jo- Joseph found out that Mary was pregnant with someone else's kid, if he just wasn't like, what? Why? And how would you love to be able to explain or even try to be the one receiving the information that I got impregnated by God? I could see why he wanted to put her away privately and quietly. I couldn't imagine hearing that. And I'm pretty sure throughout the generations, there's been some woman who has tried to convince her mother and father that, I don't know how this happened. It was the Holy Ghost, I guess. Truth be told, I could imagine Joseph's jaw just dropping, okay, at the thought of the scandal that he's going to have to face now and he's going to have to go through and this really is the backdrop of that first Christmas. But before we get into that, if you would be willing to read with me from the book of Micah, Micah chapter 5. It's actually a very significant prophecy about Christmas itself because it pertains to a little town we know as Bethlehem. Here's how it reads in, in Micah chapter 5. It says, but to you, Bethlehem, David's country, Bethlehem, the, the runt of the litter, Could have been speaking about David himself or just the small town Bethlehem or both. But check this out. Even from the runt of the litter, here's what it says. From you will come the leader who will shepherd or rule both, shepherd and rule, Israel. 
He will be no upstart, no pretender. His family tree is ancient and distinguished. From you, Bethlehem, comes one who will rule over all of Israel. And his family tree is ancient and distinguished. Now, here's what I do know about nativity sets. They look beautiful. Nativity sets are so well pieced together and all the quiet little elements put in place. The baby Jesus with the halo over his head. The, the barnyard animals laying quietly in the background. The, the magi that show up bringing their gifts. The shepherds standing around. Mary looking like she did not have just given birth to a child. She just looks amazing and wonderful. Everything about a nativity scene looks Perfect and beautiful, but how many understand nativity sets are far from the realistic uh, uh, happenings that took place on that very first Christmas? It's not the real thing. It's how we want to see it, how it's portrayed, but it's not actually what happened. The first Christmas has Joseph getting this news about Mary being pregnant, and, and he's about ready just to be done with this woman and, and write her off. And, and we've got the Magi who do show up at some point in time in the first two years of Christ's life. And after they find out what, what is going to happen from Herod, they, they end up literally running away from the country, if you will. we got, obviously, Herod himself, who is, who is not thrilled that another king has been born, and now he's on a baby-killing spree. And, and we've got Joseph again, who, who has to have an angel show up and tell him, stay with Mary, and not only stay with Mary, but take your family and flee to Egypt. There's nothing, if you will, comfortable, beautiful, wonderful, magnificent about the very first Christmas. It's when you start to really zoom in that you recognize there's some problems in this story. There's some, there's some if you will, can I use the word scandal going on around the Christmas story. And for most of us, if we do read into the Bible and we look at the scriptures themselves that pertain to the Christmas story. We see Luke chapter 2. We see Matthew chapter 2. And, and we like to say that this is where Christmas begins. But let me put forward to you today that I think Christmas actually begins somewhere around Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. It says this. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Wouldn't that be perfect if Matthew stopped right there? The son of David, the son of Abraham. There we go. We've got the bases covered. You don't have to say anything else. But he includes a lineage. Verse 17 tells us this. There were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David. 14 generations from David to the exile to Babylon and 14 generations from the exile to the Messiah. So what Matthew is laying out for the Jewish readers is this is Jesus' family tree. This is his bloodline. This is his list of succession, if you will. This is one generation after another. Now, my mother's side can actually trace their family back to Abraham Lincoln's wife, Mary Todd. My grandmother was a Todd. It would have been her great-great-aunt was Mary Todd. So on that side of the family, I could say, in some weird way, I'm related to Abraham Lincoln. Cool. Okay, that's my family tree. My father's side can actually trace back their Pentecostal roots to just after Azusa Street Revival uh, in California. So for me, I feel like I've got a pretty cool family tree. I've got a, I've got a pretty neat heritage, if you will. I've got, I've got these things that I, I think are significant to those who have come before me to set me up for who I am today. And here's what I want you to know about ancient times. Your ancestry 
was your resume. Your bloodline was your portfolio. The family that you had, the family that you came from, this was how you were identified. Jesus, son of, if you will, okay? Uh, they would always want to know who your daddy was. If we're, if we're, if we're going to know who you are, we need to know where you came from. How many are truly thankful today that in spite of where you came from, God has changed your identity completely? And I'm identified as one of his own. Mom and daddy were crazy. Grandma was a screw up. But you know what? I'm thankful. God changed my identity. Gave me a, a new family, if you will. And it almost becomes, if you will, to the, our generation, it almost becomes difficult to understand because we don't necessarily always talk about the scandals of our family, about what we've come from, if you will. Yes, if you've had a godly heritage, you're going to honor your parents, your grandparents, much like I do with my grandfather and grandmother. But for some of us, we don't want to talk at all about those who have come before us. But in Jesus' time, your name came from the Father before you, and the Father before him, and the Father before him. Your forefathers basically set you up for success. Your family line could have meant opportunities, open doors, conversations with people maybe you yourself could not get in front of. But something about your lineage prepared a way for you to be able to have these kind of relationships or opportunities in your life. Basically, your family tree either qualified you or disqualified you, especially in the case of the Messiah. Think about it. The Messiah had to prove where he came from so he could prove who he was. Jesus had to ultimately prove where he came from because you know his naysayers as he got older would make comments, at least we know who our daddies is. They would put this forward to Jesus. There was, there was this scandal going on constantly that Mary got impregnated by somebody else. Joseph was not actually Jesus' father. And that went with him all the days of his life as people thought they knew something about Jesus. They had something about on Jesus. So Matthew sets out to prove who Jesus is as the Messiah by proving where he came from. And in the Old Testament alone, we, we know that there are well over 300 prophecies concerning the Messiah, his life, his death, what he was going to do while he was here on the planet. Two of those prophecies in particular, Matthew really goes after because they surround his birth. First, we know he had to come from Bethlehem. He, he had to be born and, and come from this small runt of the litter town known as Bethlehem. The second thing that Matthew had to prove ultimately is that the Messiah was related to King David. So from the get-go, right from the jump, Matthew wants to make sure that it is known, that it is clear. Jesus is the Messiah. He's come from the line and lineage of King David. Because if you could not prove you were born in Bethlehem, if you could not prove that you were from David's lineage, the Jews would look at you and say, you're a fraud. There's no way you could be the Messiah. You have not fulfilled these prophecies. 
Now, I get it. Some of us can make things up, and, and I can fulfill certain prophecies when I'm live. What I cannot do is ultimately determine where I'm going to be born, if you will, and the lineage that I come from. This is how we know Jesus is the Messiah, because there are things he could ultimately control when he was here. But before he even showed up, God made sure that his word would come true. So when his people looked at Jesus' life and tried to doubt him and say, you're, a, you're not legitimately the Messiah, he could ultimately say, there are things I couldn't control that God me here. I was born in Bethlehem just like prophesied. And I come from the line of David just like prophesied. So before I showed up and you thought I manipulated anything, God made sure to keep his word. And I am that promised Messiah. Here I am to fulfill it. God's word. Ultimately, Jesus had to show his family lineage so that he could prove who he was. Now, if his lineage is his resume, then how many understand there are just certain things you want to make sure a new boss does not know about your work history? How many honest people make sure you exclude certain things whenever you are writing out and filling out an application? There are just certain things that just I try to make sure are not present in my resume. The time I didn't show up for a week. The, the, the time I just outright quit altogether without even a two weeks notice. The, the, the time that I, I got fired. There are things in our resume we don't tell people about. And if your lineage was your resume, it would make perfect sense to exclude certain things, certain folk from your resume. I don't want you to know so-and-so was a part of my family. I need to put my best foot forward. King Herod actually did this. There were people, family members, that he removed completely from his lineage because he wanted to make himself look good. He wanted to put his best foot forward. But I, can I tell you this? King Jesus didn't exclude anybody from his family tree. Let's look at this just for a few moments. Because it makes sense for Matthew to include David. And it makes sense for Matthew to include Abraham and Jesus' family tree. So I'll go back to that first verse just for a moment. David and Abraham prove that he's the, the promised Messiah. He's the one to come. So it makes sense that Abraham is there. It makes sense that David is there. But what makes no sense is the names that Matthew includes in Jesus' family tree. If you, if you will with me just for a moment, I'm going to take a look at, at Jesus' family tree because these branches are twisted. I don't know what you could say about your own family tree, but, but can you maybe just nod your head and be like, yeah, there's some, some gnarled branches in my family line. Yeah, there's, they might be sitting close to me right now. There's some, uh, there's some twistedness up in there. This represents my, my, my take on Jesus' family tree. At the base of it all, Matthew actually starts with Abraham. Hey, the father of faith, Abraham. Because of Abraham, the rest of us Gentiles, if you will, are we're engrafted into the vine. We are, we are part of that, that family that belongs to God because of our father, the father of faith, Abraham. Also, the one who became, if you will, the father to, to many people, hey, uh, the, the Jewish nation itself, the, the nation of Israel coming from Abraham. So at the base of this, we've got Father Abraham. And Abraham is, is a, 
a righteous guy, an awesome guy. But if you actually read Abraham's story, you'll, you'll know there's a couple things about Abraham that I've listed here for you. Did you know that Abraham was a liar? Did you know that Abraham was fearful? Did, did you know that Abraham actually had self, he was self-preserving, motivated, if you will, to keep himself alive. Here's how I know, because on two different occasions, he basically put his wife out there, left her out there to dry so he could stay alive. Yo, girl, lie for me, okay, because I don't want to die. Fearful, liar, literally exposed his wife in that way. Oh, but he's Father Abraham. Yeah, we sing songs about him, had many sons. We, 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 we recognize this guy. We, we honor this guy, but, but we also understand he wasn't perfect. And that's just, that's just Abraham. Okay, verse 3. Go and give him verse 3. Verse 3 gives us this situation where one of Abraham's grandchildren, great-grandchildren at this point, Judah. Judah is the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Okay? You might just read over that and think nothing about that until you go back and read the book of Genesis. Judah had a son who was married to a woman named Tamar. His son died, and he was supposed to take care of his daughter-in-law, and he didn't. So guess what his daughter-in-law did? She dressed up like a prostitute and hooked up with her father-in-law. And they had some kids. Ooh, I had no idea that was in the Bible. Doesn't sound much different than some of our family trees, huh? Just craziness. Wait, say what? Time out. You mean to tell me in Jesus' family tree... There was a man named Judah and a woman named Tamar, and they had a scandal going on. Merry Christmas, y'all. <laughs> this is insane. Why would we include this in the Messiah's lineage? Oh, but it doesn't stop there. It keeps getting better. It, it included, it, I think verse 5, tells us there was a man named, I, I like calling him Salmon, fishy dude. Yeah. He was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. What? Okay, again, here, firstly, we're pointing out, uh, in ancient times, what you didn't talk about was women. In specific cultures, they had no rights. They, they had no place. But we want to make sure that we understand Jesus changes the entire paradigm. He shifts everything. Jesus makes sure that you understand how valuable women really are. The importance that they not only play as mothers, but the importance they play in legacy. And he wants you to know, women, that you've got to know this today. No matter how you've been degraded or looked down upon or equal pay, even if it never happens in, in your lifetime, you've got to know you are on equal footing with Jesus Christ. Because he takes male and female and says there's no more difference. He takes slave and free and says there's no more difference. He takes black and white and Hispanic and mixed and wherever you come from. And he says there's no more difference. They're all one because of me. That's what Jesus does. What we have here is this woman named Rahab. And, and you might know the story because the first time she's introduced in Scripture, it's actually in the book of, uh, of uh, Joshua, she's introduced as Rahab the harlot. Rahab the harlot. Say what? Not only is he pointing out that she's a woman, but he points out 
her occupation. And she's included in Jesus' time. I, I could not imagine what this looked like. I, I, I can't imagine the people hearing this, reading this, and recognizing why are these people included in the Messiah's timeline? Why are they necessary? If he's trying to put his best foot forward, shouldn't we completely just remove these people? Remove them all together. You know what he should have done? He should have stopped at David. He came from the line of David. Let's just leave it at that. Amen? So let's talk about David. The man after God's own hearts. The worshiper king. The one who took down Goliath with a sling and a stone. The man himself who won victory after victory. Saul slayed his thousands. David had slain his ten thousands. The man becomes king one day. He's mighty. He's powerful. He wrote most of the psalms that we read and sing from the book of Psalms. He's awesome. And then one day when he's supposed to be at battle, he's sitting out on his porch, and he notices this fine woman taking a bath. I don't really know if her name's Bathsheba or if it just came from the, how we saw her. Yeah. Bathsheba, I don't know. But David notices this woman, and instead of being the king he was called to be, he brings this woman into his chambers. Everything changes, if you will, in this season of David's life. All these great accolades, all these things he had accomplished, and one major moral failing. Now, it doesn't stop right there because King David goes from being an adulterer and look how it actually reads. Can you read that verse 6 with me? David was the father of, check it out, Solomon, whose mother, it doesn't even say her name. Look what it says. Whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Shame, child. Whose mother had been, she was married before. So here we have the Messiah's lineage, and we don't just stop at David's affair. If you know what happens to Uriah, David makes sure that Uriah is put on the front lines of the battle. And then at a specific moment, everyone else pulls back except Uriah, and he's killed. So David not only takes his wife and commits the affair, but David now takes the next step to try to cover his tracks completely and have her husband killed. King David. Wait a second. Jesus' family line includes adultery and murder and scandals and prostitution and women. What is going on here? And that's not even the top rung. There's two, the, two ladies included in Jesus' timeline that weren't even of Jewish descent. They weren't even pure blood. Now, this is one thing that a Jew does not want to have known about his legacy, about his ancestry. The very top of this, you know this woman. Her name's Ruth. She was a Moabite. She worshipped false gods and idols. She herself only decided one day with Naomi, I can't leave you. 
Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. But previous to that, all she had known was her false gods, her idolatry. This makes up Jesus' family tree. So if you're really that worried about how jacked up your family is, I need you to know that you're in good company. Ultimately, what you need to recognize is that it, it was a tree that screwed up all of humanity anyway. I want to show you a quick video, and, and I hope I'm not freaking anybody out this afternoon when you go home and you look at your family tree, but let, let's play this video because I recognize that it was a, a tree that caused the fall of man. And, and this will probably, this will help you right away as we, we got that video. As you see what happens, <laughs> it's going to take you to a place where you recognize. All right, let's keep it at that. What does that remind you of? Hello, somebody. Let me take you all the way back to Genesis chapter 3 just for a moment. It says this. The serpent, who was most cunning, says this to Adam and Eve. He says, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat from, from this fruit, that your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. This takes me back to that, this instance where that cunning, deceitful, deceptive serpent is able to twist the truth and literally cause Eve to be deceived and Adam to go along with that deception. And we know what happens biblically. They eat of that fruit. And the moment that Adam takes a bite of that fruit, everything, everything that was beautiful, everything that was holy, everything that was perfect, now is put to an end. And sin enters the world. And now everything has been disrupted. Their connection with God has been completely severed because of sin. And that, that, that lying, demonic devil makes them believe you will not die. If anything, you'll be just like God, now knowing good and evil. Now, they did not die a physical death. There are different kinds of death. They died a spiritual one. Now they are severed from their connection, their relationship with God. Let me show you what Adrian Rogers wrote in his book, Kingdom Authority. He said this. Adam was very much like a Christmas tree, cut off from its roots, brought in the house and decorated in some ways, it may look better in the house than in the wild. But what happened when it was cut from the source of life, it will show eventually. The truth of the matter is that it often is called a living tree, but it was dead when it was cut off from the source of life. And so it is with man. You've got to know that sin separates us from a holy, righteous God. And the only thing sin can do is bring about death in our lives. 
And that's why you've got to know the moment that Adam and Eve fall, God starts doling out punishments, but he doesn't stop with Adam and he doesn't stop with Eve. He makes sure to turn his attention to that serpent who caused the deception in the first place. And he says this at Genesis 3.15, I declare war between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. You'll wound his head, and he, or he will wound your head and you will wound his heel. I love what God does from the very get-go. He makes it clear to the enemy, makes it clear to Satan. I am going to crush your head. Head is the symbol of your authority. I'm going to literally walk on top of your authority. I'm going to make sure that you are defeated and everyone knows about it. And Christmas is the day God made good on his promise to Satan. Jesus shows up to crush the authority that Satan had. John 1. 1 John 1, 3, 8 says this. The reason that the Son of God was made manifest, the reason that Jesus appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Christmas is not a holiday. According to the scriptures, Christmas is a rescue mission. This is Jesus himself seeking and saving that which was lost. And he didn't just die for my sin. He died as my sin. 1 Peter 2, 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness by his stripes you are healed i need somebody today just to take a moment and rejoice in the power of your messiah take a moment and rejoice in the authority of our king take a moment today and rejoice that i don't have to live under sin anymore i can be free from it i can live under righteousness by his stripes i can overcome sin by his stripes i can be healed from the power of sin by his stripes I I don't have to live under the effects of it anymore. I'm healed by his stripes. Last thing I want to tell you. Jesus' family tree in the book of Matthew is actually just his mother's side through marriage to Joseph. Can I give you his father's side? John 1, 1. It's a lot shorter. In the beginning was the word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So the Word became human, and He made His home, His dwelling among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen His glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. Jesus just wasn't, He wasn't just human, He was divine. He was the one who could reach into my sinful humanity, literally, and pull me out of my sins. And He's the only one who can reach into God's divinity and literally bring and bridge together the gap between sinful fallen man and a holy righteous father and now because of Jesus I have right relationship with God he's not just a way he's not just a truth he's not just a life he is the way the truth the life Jesus Christ the only way to the father I celebrate Christmas not because of the presents that hang if you will under the tree I celebrate Christmas because of the gift God made sure hung upon the tree. Jesus Christ. Ladies and gentlemen, I don't want to say this to you. 
your life might be jacked up because of your own sins, because of the sins of your forefathers. You might feel like you live under some type of generational curse. We look at your family tree and it's very similar to Jesus' tree. Possibly. But I need you to know that if anyone is in Christ, they become a new creation. And old things are passed away. Behold, all things can become brand new. Maybe this isn't just for you. But I want you to do what my grandfather did one day. He recognized he too could fall into the same traps of his father's. He recognized I could be a drunkard, a womanizer. I could be a rolling stone, literally moving and jumping from place to place, home to home, state to state. This is what his father was. And my grandfather made up his mind. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And he he literally transformed and changed the trajectory of my family line. I stand here before you today preaching the gospel as a third generation minister because somebody in my family stood up and said, I know where I came from, but I also know where I'm going. And I need to change some things so my family can learn about generational blessing and not be under these generational curses anymore. I ask you today, are you brave enough are you woman enough, man enough to say enough's enough? I'm ready to see my family serving the Lord, walking with God. I'm ready to see transformation in generations to come. I'm ready for people to look at our family tree 20 years, 50 years from now and say, yep, great, great, great daddy was crazy. Great, great grandmama, they was out of their mind. But thank God for grandma. Thank God for grandpa. Thank God for mommy. Thank God for daddy. Somebody stood up and said, enough is enough. It is time for this family to change its course and follow after the Lord. So here we go today. Your mama's side might be like Jesus' mama's side. Lengthy and scandalous. But you've got to know you've got a heavenly father who looks at you and loves you, adores you. I, I don't know how to, 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 to really symbolize this, but my youngest, Evangeline, five years old, I adore that girl, and she knows it. Kevin saw us before service. She didn't want to go into CIA, into kids' ministry. So you know what she did? She held my hand and wanted to walk along with me. Daddy, can I just go with you? And then she gave me those teary-eyed kind of. Yes, baby. Just for a little bit. Because I got to go preach. And you're five years old. I can't hold you for a half hour anymore. Eventually, I got her in there, thank God. But I adore that girl, and she knows it. Your Heavenly Father adores you, and He is not about to let you go. In fact, He loves you so much, He made the way for you to be one of His own. It's right there in John 1. Give me that last verse, sir. Verse 12 tells us this, but as many as received Jesus, the Word made flesh, as many as received Him, to them He gave the right you want to talk about your rights? When you get pulled over this afternoon, you want to tell them about your rights? You tell them. Here's my rights. I believed in his name. I've been given the right to be called. Not a church member, not a Christian, 
not, not somebody who, who does good, not a holy roller. I've been given the right to be called a child of a holy, righteous, uncomparable, amazing, magnificent, unfailing, unending, loving God. I have that right. Family today, let's establish something moving forward. I don't have to prove anything about where I've come from. All I need to do is tell you who I belong to. He does all the proving for me because he's already approved of me. So here today, no matter how long you've come to church for, no matter how often you call yourself a Christian, truth be told, I'm a child of the living God. And that all the other monikers I put on myself don't matter. What matters is that I know whose I am. That I'm a child of the Most High. I have been given that right. Jesus made the way for me. He bridged the gap for me. He is that Messiah that I needed. I don't know how to, to explain it, so I'll just say it like this and I'll be done. Anybody ever played Mario Brothers? Anybody ever played Mario Brothers? Okay, now, you youngest have no idea what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the original Mario on the original Nintendo. Okay. This is what I'm talking about. Okay. The, you have two buttons, A and B. Okay. You jump. You shoot fireballs. Okay. You take out the bad guys. Okay. The, the, the mushrooms and the, and the Koopas. Whatever. Okay. And you save the princess. But in the original Nintendo... There was a consistent issue you always had. The game would glitch. It would freeze up. It wouldn't work. So you know what you did? You opened it up. You popped it out. You blew on the inside. You put it back in. Start it up. Run. Jump. Save the princess. Yes, I win the day. This is what my Messiah is. He is both Super Mario, running, jumping, taking care of the bad guys, saving the day. And when it doesn't work, he is that wind, the presence of God that shows up, cleans out the glitches, cleans out the clutter, cleans out the sin, so I can start again and win the day. That is my Messiah. And Lord Jesus, here today, as a prerequisite, if you will, preamble, a, a beginning to this Christmas time, I thank you that you didn't just come to earth. You came to earth as a human being. You took on human flesh. And you could have made sure that you came from a perfect line of humans. They all could have been righteous like Enoch. Could have walked with God and, and that was that. But we're humans. And we are tempted. And we are twisted. And we are pulled away. Like the Apostle Paul, I want to do what's right. I want to speak right. I want to live right. But there's a war within my members. Something always tugging, pulling, fighting me. And I struggle sometimes. 
as a human being. Listen to me, I'm not just, I'm not just speaking as, as a pastor, I'm speaking as a human being. My mind thinks all kinds of things too. So Lord, I thank you that you made sure I could look on your life and while you were perfect, you didn't come from perfection. Because I see myself in your family tree. I see my mistakes. I see my shortcomings. I want to finish strong, but I recognize there are some things within me that are fighting against my ability to be everything I'm called to be, everything I'm destined to be. There are things within my bloodline that are trying to screw me up, screw me over, ruin my future. But I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you weren't exempt from temptation. You just overcame it. Thank you that you weren't exempt from scrutiny. You just lived a holy life. Thank you that you weren't exempt from the shame and the pain, not just of what I've done, but what others have done to me. So you, you and I could sit here today and lift our hands and lift our voice and say, hallelujah, he's won the victory. Hallelujah, he's won it all for me. Other people screwed it up for me, but he won it back. Other people made my life miserable, but he's made it miraculous. Other people... I didn't have any say in some of this. Other people made this really bad for me. And Jesus, you took what was meant for evil and you flipped it for my good. And I'm grateful for that today. Can we just take these few moments right now in this service and just lift our hands to the Lord together and worship and praise a God who literally didn't just show up as one of us. He transformed what we could become. He transformed what we are. He has made us holy and righteous before a holy and righteous God. He has made us pure vessels before a pure God. He has not only forgiven our sin, He has given us the ability to rise above and overcome moving forward. He didn't just change my name, if you will. He set up a, a legacy of righteousness for my children and grandchildren to follow after. I am grateful. For the victory Jesus has won in my bloodline. For the victory Jesus has won in my legacy. For the victory that Jesus has won in my ancestry. I'm grateful today because of what Jesus has accomplished. On that tree, he fixed my family tree. On that tree, he fixed my legacy. On that tree, he made a new and living way for us. And I'm grateful today for the gift that hung upon the tree, Jesus Christ. Let's lift our voice and say, We declare it. He's won it for us. He's won it for us. Hallelujah. We say, Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You did it all for me, Lord. You have... Oh, death could not hold you down. We say you are the risen King. Come on, let's worship our King today. You're seated in majesty. Oh, you are the risen King. 
on, children of God, lift your voice one more time. Throw your hands in heaven and say, Hallelujah! Hallelujah! You have won the victory. Yes, Lord, you want it all for me. Hallelujah! You are the risen, living, right now, present King. You are the risen King. And you're seated in majesty. You are. You're in majesty. Oh, oh. You are my risen King. You are. You are the risen King. Hallelujah. Here's what I just feel led to do just for a moment. Every man that's in the room, every man that's in the room, whether you're a father or not, if you're a man, just, just lift your hands for just a moment. Every man in the room. Heavenly Father, I speak over men called to lead their households, called to represent as fathers and husbands and leaders. I speak over these men right now, young and old alike single, married, children alike. I speak over them as men. God, I ask today that they make a decision for their legacy. As for me and my house, we will serve. Not just go to church. Not just give in the offering. Not just, if you will, show up and help from time to time. We will serve the Lord. Father, help these men to lead. To lead. Help these men to live separated, sanctified, righteous before their wives and children, before their mothers, before their sisters and brothers, for those around them. God, let them be separated unto you as leaders. And may they never back down or back away from setting forth a godly legacy in their families. Every woman in the house, raise your hand. Every woman in the house, raise your hand. Mothers, daughters, grandmothers, wives, Raise your hands, women. You've got to know you're included in this legacy. Jesus elevates women to a place, a status, never before given to them in most of history. Jesus changes the entire paradigm. You mean something. In fact, you mean a great something. Without women, the gospel would not have been preached for the first time that he's not dead, he's alive. Without women, many times Paul would not have been able to accomplish his missionary journeys, seeing things through without godly women helping, protecting, paying for the advancement of the kingdom. Truth be told, in American culture, without women, churches would shut down all over America if it wasn't for praying godly women who say, if my man can't do it, my kids are still going to know a living God, and I'm going to get them into his presence. Women of God, I speak over you now. May you never let anything bind you up, anything depress you, or keep you down. May you recognize Though you submit to your husband as unto the Lord, you are submitted only to God. Otherwise, daughter of the king, it is time to thrive. 
It is time to move forward. It is time to live a separated, sanctified, holy life under God. It is time to show your daughters how to become women. It is time to show your sons how to treat women. It is time to tell this generation, this is what it means not just to go to church. This is what it means to represent as a daughter of the Most High God. Daughters of the King, go forward with strength. Go forward with dignity. Go forward with honor. And in spite of maybe where you messed up yesterday, thank God that you're a new creation. And you are setting forth a new tone and legacy for your family. Daughters of the Most High, receive the courage you need. Know who you are in Christ. Represent your King, your Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name. Jesus' name. If your family is close to you, we traditionally do this around Christmas time, but if your family is close to you, grab hold of your family. If you're around a complete stranger, just lay your hand on their shoulder and introduce yourself so they know who you are. There are people who do come to church alone. I get it. But you need to know you're never alone. You're never alone. As many as received him, those who believed in his name, to those he gave the right to be called children of God. You are surrounded by all of God's children. Because we've believed in Jesus. We've received him. We're his children now. And I want to encourage you to... To never find yourself isolated and alone. Especially when temptation comes or when the lies of the enemy come. When you feel discouraged, defeated, sick, lost. When you do feel all alone. This is the time I pray you'll reflect on and say, wait a second. I'm reminded that I have a family. Maybe they don't share my last name but they share the name above all names. And I'm not alone. And I called a couple of them on a text and they didn't respond. Call a couple more. Facebook message somebody. Make sure you, you do not go through life alone. Satan is the master in making us believe that we're better isolated, we're better alone, we're, 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 we're better off figuring it out by ourselves. Don't be an idiot. I don't want to say it. Don't be an idiot. Don't believe his lies. Don't. Thank you, Pastor Katrina. Don't believe it. He is a liar and the father of lies. Instead, recognize you are surrounded with a great cloud of witnesses. And we have called on the name of the Lord. And we, somebody will be there for you if you just call enough people. Somebody will pray for you if you don't just give up after the first text message isn't responded to. I promise you, somebody will represent with you. This is what we are. We're not alone. So Lord, I ask that today you would help solidify in our spirit, in our understanding, that anytime I feel the need to be isolated, I've got to protect myself from the schemes of the enemy. Anytime I really am made to believe that I'm alone, that there's no one there, that there's no one who understands, that there's no one who can carry this, Help me to recognize right away the lie of the enemy and reach out to my family. 
Get somebody praying for me. Get somebody interceding for me. Get somebody to give me some wisdom. Get somebody to remind me who I am. Get somebody to remind me that I've changed course. Get somebody to remind me I've got a legacy I'm setting forward. The sin isn't worth it. The struggle isn't worth it. This temptation isn't worth it. This isolation isn't worth it. Help me to recognize that, Lord. I don't want to be an idiot. I want to be identified as a son, as a daughter of the Most High God. So you have a family. I keep saying this because I've been watching this happen more and more. People don't lean on their family. People don't turn to their family. They think they can figure it out on their own. And maybe your family isn't going to give you the right answers right away. But at least you know you're not alone. Jesus showed up divinity becoming humanity so that we would know we are not alone. So Lord, I thank you today as we close this service out. There's a healing for some people's minds right now. A healing for their understanding. Yes, you are working out your own salvation, but we're here to help carry that burden. Yes, it is your personal walk with God. But if you're struggling, get somebody in the way to help correct that course. Don't do this alone. Don't do it alone. Thank you today, Father. You're healing and correcting. Now, ultimately, we will recognize we're part of a bigger legacy anyway. We're not alone. We are not alone. And I'm believing that coming from our lives, our children, one day our grandchildren, some of us are already living that, our great-grandchildren, they will look on us and call us blessed. Blessed. I'm blessed because I carry a good name. A good name because of my family. Thank you, Lord, you're setting this forward in our minds, in our hearts, in our families. As for me and my house, what are you going to speak? As for me and my house, come on, what are you going to say? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So be it today. Before Pastor Bethel comes up, I want to ask you just to encourage somebody near you. I've done a lot of talking, but I want you to grab hold of somebody. Just encourage someone right now. A wife, a husband, a friend, a child, a parent. Someone close. Just encourage somebody right now. Just encourage them. Use that gift. Use that gift right now. You're beautiful. You're unique. You've been squeezing my hand the last 15 minutes, whatever. (laughs) But I love your strong grip. Curse somebody. Curse somebody. Hallelujah. Just before Pastor Bethel comes up here and closes out our service, Everyone that will all over this room, just repeat this after me. Say, Lord Jesus, thank you for guaranteeing that I wouldn't be alone, that I wouldn't be lost, that I could have a family. Thank you for coming to earth, for giving your life on a tree so that I could be redeemed, so that I 
could be bought back so that I could have my sins forgiven so that I could have the right to be called a child of God. Thank you for listening to this week's message on the Impact Church Aurora podcast. Please feel free to subscribe, rate, and review. For more information or to give, please visit us at www.impactchurcharora.com. Now, go out into the world and continue making an impact.